Hi, and welcome to Indie Stars Politics Podcast. I'm Greg Weaver, the government editor, and I'm here with a host of uh, reporters from our politics team. We have Maureen Grappi on the phone with us uh, from Washington, uh, Tony Cook, our State House reporter, uh, Bobby King, who's been covering a number of issues at the State House this session, and Caitlin Lang, uh, the State House reporter for the Evansville Courier and Press. We want to start out today by uh, looking ahead to next week when uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg will be uh, in the running for chairman of the Democratic uh, National Party. And Maureen has been speaking to him uh, over the course of the last week or so uh, and has a a profile that will be running uh, online and in print. But Maureen, can you give us a little bit of a preview of what we might expect in that election where I think there are about 11 candidates from around the country? Yeah, we don't know exactly how many candidates there will be because they have to submit, they have to have a certain number of signatures to make it on the ballot, and that deadline, we haven't reached that deadline yet. But um, it's an interesting race. These races uh, are usually not this wide open, uh, but the Democratic Party is in trying to figure out their path back to some kind of um, national status again after they lost not just the the White House, but uh, they control neither chamber of Congress. And they're also not doing well in terms of the number of um, state legislatures and governor mansions that they control. So, and they're also coming off of um, a, a fight, a primary fight last year, where there was a division between the Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton uh, wings of the party. And there's a little bit of the parallel of that in, in this race, although it's not quite a perfect analogy. But Keith Ellison, a uh, member of Congress from Minnesota, who is uh, one of two Muslims in Congress, Andre Carson of Indianapolis is the other, he has the endorsement of Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but also of uh, Chuck Schumer, who's the top Democrat in Congress. So he's a member of the establishment. Um, but uh, Ellison is one of the front runners for the job of DNC chair, and the other is labor, the former Labor Secretary under Obama, Tom Perez. He has the endorsement of Joe Biden, which is the top Democrat to get involved um, in this race. Uh, Judge is arguing that we don't need, that the party doesn't need to re-litigate uh, this division and that he is, since he doesn't represent either side, he's in best position to bring the party together. All the candidates are saying similar things in terms of the need to compete broadly across the country to make Plans, victory plans specific to each state uh, to, to really build up the grassroots. Buttigieg, um, in addition to saying that he doesn't represent either side, he also has a compelling background as someone who combines a lot of things you don't see in one person. He would not only be the youngest DNC chair, but also the uh, first openly gay head of the party. He's uh, Ivy League. He went to Harvard. He was also a Rhodes Scholar, but he's an officer in the Navy Reserve. He served in Afghanistan. Um, he worked for the consulting firm McKinsey before he became mayor of South Bend, which is a Rust Belt city. So he combines an interesting background um, and, uh, and is someone who is, has been getting a lot of buzz in this race. Yeah, he seems to have uh, energized a lot of, uh, a lot of Democrats. Um, what what's kind of the general feeling about his chances in this race? Well, they, of course, there's no um, 
polling that you do for the 447, there's some public polling of the 447 DNC members who will be making this decision on February 25th. And uh, the two front runners, they both have been saying that you know, they've got enough support, but they, they haven't put out public lists of supporters of endorsements uh, of among the um, the voting members that would show that. And there's a uh, thinking that Buttigieg could, if nobody gets a majority on the the first round of voting, then he is running to be the sort of consensus second choice for everybody, um, and that could that could be his path to victory. He's also gotten some momentum in recent days. He had already gotten the endorsement of one former DNC chair, Steve Grossman. This week he got three more, so that gives him uh, the backing of four former DNC chairs, which is the most of any of the candidates so far. One of the things that uh, Judge likes to say when he's out campaigning for this post is he likes to say, you know, I, I bring you progressive greetings from Mike Pence's Indiana. And I just, you know, what kind of contrast is that going to create on the national scene if you have Mike Pence uh, as vice president and you have Pete Buttigieg as the DNC chair, both of them from Indiana? It can be an interesting contrast. And one of the things that's particularly interesting to me is that uh, Buddha Judge has been using the term happy warrior, that Democrats need to be happy warriors, that you, you need to fight the Republicans and what they're saying, but you also have to do it in a spirit that makes people want to be part of your movement. And that's interesting to me because a lot of people have used the term happy warrior to describe Mike Pence because, as he likes to say, I'm a conservative, but I'm not in a bad mood about it. So it could be interesting if if, uh, if Pete Buttigieg is the... Uh, the spokesman or one of the top spokesmen of the Democratic Party and putting forth that image from Indiana um, in contrast to Mike Pence. Um, Joe Andrew, the last DNC chairman from Indiana, he served in, uh, he held the post in 1999 and 2000, and he has endorsed uh, Buttigieg. He said to me that, uh, I'm, uh, Unfortunately and also unfairly, he thinks Indiana has gotten labeled a certain way um, because of Pence, uh, because of the Pence's identify with Indiana, his, his ideology, and he thinks um, Buttigieg, um, an openly gay Ivy League Afghanistan veteran, mayor of Rust Belt City, is not what people usually picture when they think of Indiana, and he thinks that would be, um, of course, as a Democrat, he thinks that would be good for, for Indiana if you had that contrast. Yeah, and then uh, I also want to talk to you a little little bit about some other developments in Washington over the past week. Vice President Mike Pence has been getting a, a lot of attention because of uh, the flap over uh, Michael Flynn, the uh, the National Security Advisor who who resigned, and largely that that flap revolved around comments that uh, Mike Pence had made previously, saying that Michael Flynn had not talked to the Russians about sanctions. And then it came out later that, that, that indeed he had. I mean, ultimately, Flynn resigned under pressure because uh, he was essentially caught in a lie. I, I'm guessing that that, uh, that plays well for Mike Pence. It shows that he does have some influence within the administration. Well, I think it's a mixed bag. Um, he, he does, it does show that, but it also shows that maybe he w didn't have that much influence because he wasn't told. He found out about the, um, Flynn having lied to him in, in the media. So there's your power as vice president comes from the perception of 
whether you are close to the president, whether he listens to you, whether you're an important player. And this raised a question to some people of, is uh, Pence truly in the inner circle? Does he, uh, does he have the, the ear of the president, um, or is he just told to go out there and, and be the ambassador, be on the Sunday talk shows, be the ambassador to Congress, be the ambassador to conservative groups, and help sell the administration's message? So it, does this put uh, the vice president in a, in a precarious position as we move forward if he's not in the loop? Well, I think we'll be looking for signs of that. Um, there are reports that he, um, who is famously slow to anger, has, has moved past this and, and is, is looking at, uh, ahead. Um, but we, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Um, it, it, and because his role has been so much the messenger part um, of the job, since he went out, this went to his credibility as a messenger when he went on TV and said something that turned out to be a lie. So if, if that happens again, a major part of his job, which is um, being the messenger for the administration, if that keeps continues to be undercut, then that's a problem. Right. Well, uh, we'll be looking forward to your uh, continuing reporting on th that issue and others. I, it looks like the, the Buttigieg uh, vote for DNC, that will be... Uh, That'll be finished by Friday or Saturday of next week? Saturday the 25th. Yeah, so we'll be uh, monitoring that uh, pretty closely. So uh, thanks for joining us, Maureen. I want to move on to some state issues now. Um, and uh, one of the things we've been following at the State House this week is uh, the passage of um, uh, an increase in the gasoline tax by the Indiana House. Uh, and that's an effort to provide uh, funding for roads. Um, and Caitlin, uh, what do you think is going to happen once that bill gets to the Senate? Yeah, it could be really interesting to see what happens with that uh, that bill in the House. It passed 61 to 36. Um, there were seven Republicans that joined with the Democratic Caucus in uh, voting against the legislation. So. Um, you know, there's there's that issue of having both the fiscally conservatives sort of against the tax raise and then also the Democrats against the um, what they see as an unfair tax um, on some people who might not be able to afford it. When it reaches the Senate, um, if you guys remember from before, the Senate kind of relied on the House to create this um, roads plan and didn't really produce something themselves to to the measure that the house did um so it it'll be interesting to see this this legislation is bound to change i'm sure once once it gets into the senate um since i know some of these measures again just aren't super popular with either the super conservatives and then also the democrats so and uh tony it I think you've noticed some differences, too, between the House and Senate on their approaches to road funding. What do you think we can expect from uh, the Senate and, uh, and from Senator Kenley, the, uh, the fiscal leader there? Yeah, I mean, Kenley said this week that he's not a fan of certain aspects of the House legislation. The parts that he's concerned about would shift the sales tax on gasoline to go towards roads. Right now it goes towards the general fund. Um, and then the House is effectively backfilling that with uh, that hole in the general fund with cigarette tax increase of a dollar a pack. And Kenley uh, said this week he, he's not a fan of that approach. And he talked a lot about tolling being the way that to him makes sense 
to increase that revenue for roads. And specifically, he noted that you'd be capturing a lot of out-of-state revenue that way and that it's a more direct kind of user fee when you're talking about roads. So I think that's a major point of contention uh, probably right now between the two chambers. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Republicans come up with and then how the two sides, um, you know, rectify their differences. Yeah, and we still don't fully know where the governor stands in all this either. He's also kind of left his options open. He really has. You know, that's been his sort of trademark phrase that he's used throughout this debate. You know, all options on the table. He's ex- he, he's said that he could support any number of options, sort of produced a list, but didn't necessarily say which ones he preferred. Um, so I think a, a lot of, you know, he's in an interesting negotiating position as the House and Senate uh, try to work out their differences, I think he's going to be a pretty major player in deciding how it all shakes out. So, And, uh, Bobby, this week you've been following an interesting bill uh, on uh, uh, chemically uh, induced abortions. Uh, and the bill would have required that women who uh, undergo that procedure would have to be informed of a, a reversal drug, so to speak. Um, and I know that that bill came out of committee on a narrow vote, but then there were some developments after that that uh, have cast some doubt on whether it's uh, going to move forward. Can you fill us in on that a little bit? Yeah, um, the bill passed uh, the committee on a narrow vote, seven to six, with a couple of Republicans joining Democrats. Um, but late last uh, yesterday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, the bill got uh, brought uh, to the Speaker's attention on the House floor and sent back to the committee. Um, this is significant because Tuesday is the deadline for bills to leave the House committee. So um, they have a hearing Tuesday morning, and that's going to be make or break for this uh, bill uh, if it's going to go anywhere this session. And, it, and it's been controversial because the abortion pill reversal is a controversial um, issue. The idea is that um, people who are taking uh, – the abortion pill combo, it's a two-drug two combination. Uh, this reversal uh, treatment would intervene in the midst of the two uh, drugs, um, the abortion drugs, and stop it in its tracks. Um, there's no science um, backing up the success of this. Both sides agree to that, although the uh, proponents for uh, the abortion reversal say there have been some cases uh, including a, a woman who testified at the committee uh, who said her abortion, uh, she had second thoughts, regrets about starting the process, and, and this uh, therapy helped save save her baby. So, and Tony, this is, seemed to be a pretty unusual move uh, when you a, a bill that has passed a House committee comes to the floor and then gets sent back. It's kind of an unusual thing. Do you have any insights as to what that might mean about the future of the bill? Well, I think it's you've got to look at it as casting some doubt over the future. And, you know, the author of the legislation, uh, Representative Bacon, you know, told us that, you know, that Tuesday is make it or break it for this bill. We have to we have to move it or it's dead. So, I mean, you know, when you have the author of the bill thrown around uh, the word dead, you got to recognize that this casts a lot more doubt over the bill than if it had just proceeded to the House floor. The odd thing about it is that some of the more technical language issues 
that Speaker Bosma says his members have some concerns about, those would normally be worked out through amendments on the House floor. And so that's what makes this so unusual that he actually sent it back to the committee where this deadline is looming. And I think that's going to generate a lot of skepticism about, you know, whether this move might be intended to stall or kill the bill. So, yeah, and we'll certainly be paying attention to that on Tuesday when the bill goes back for another hearing. The other thing we'll be paying a lot of attention to in the coming week is whether or not uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg becomes uh, the chair of the DNC. So look for our reports in the coming week, and we thank you for listening.